Welcome to the Hashcast, a short show focused on mining Bitcoin at home, brought to you every 2016 blocks at the time of the difficulty adjustment. This is episode 356. Today is January 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Econo Alchemist. This show offers you a chance to catch up on the last two weeks of Bitcoin mining, stats, news, developments, home miner setups, and any breaking privacy implications. I hope you enjoy. Let's get started. The first thing we're going to jump into here is the difficulty estimator. If you haven't checked it out already, this is bitrar.com, and they have a cool interface that shows how many blocks are left in this difficulty epoch. Um, so you can see here that we're narrowing down to the end of this epoch. This is looking like we're going to see almost a 10% increase, a 9.4%, maybe 9.5% increase in the difficulty. So what this means for you as a home miner is that your uh, mining rewards are about to decrease by roughly 10%. So the Bitcoin network is basically saying to itself, okay, the time between blocks has um, decreased, so the blocks are coming faster than the 10-minute average that is aimed for. So in order to uh, extend that amount of time back out, um, it needs to be more difficult to solve for a block. So this is a good indication that more hash rate has been coming online. This is the last year of uh, Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustments. So you can see the last few adjustments that we've had, actually since I've started doing this podcast, the difficulty adjustments have been very minimal, uh, less than a percent. I was almost anticipating that this was going to be another small difficulty increase like that again, which would have signaled to me that there's either not enough equipment being put in the hands of miners who want to operate that equipment, or there's not enough infrastructure in place to get that equipment plugged in, or maybe like some combination of both. Um, but the fact that we're about to experience almost a 10% increase in difficulty. That tells me that the players that were on the sideline are now getting on the field. Whatever was keeping them from getting their ASICs up and running has been figured out. And that hash rate in the last couple of weeks has uh, come online. And it's, it's a good, strong indication that a lot more mining is happening. Uh, you can kind of see that in the like hash rate chart. So this is the last year. Um, so you can see that according to this chart, which by the way, you kind of need to take with a grain of salt because the time windows that these hash averages are figured out in um, are like a day or less. So we'll look at another chart in a minute that actually shows like a, a better representation of the hash rate. But I do like to look at this chart just to kind of get an idea for like more immediate response to how the time between blocks is changing. So um, there's really no metric in the Bitcoin blockchain for data to be pulled to give us um, like reliable pulse on how much hash rate is online right now. The only way we can figure out hash rate is by guessing based on how much time it's taking in between each block. So you can see here, like there was a major uh, ramp up in hash rate 
Um, really what this is saying is that during this time interval, the time between blocks was getting shorter and shorter, which is a good indication that more hash rate is coming online. So, you know, if we, you know, zoom in to the last week here, it does look like those blocks are going faster and faster. So that's a good indication that more hash is coming online, but it's usually better to take a look at things from longer time windows. So um, this chart uses a 14 day uh, exponential moving average to calculate those, th those same variables, like how much time it's taking in between blocks to give us a pulse on, on actual hash rate. So you can see here, like this is, this is also like hitting all time highs. This is a, this chart is showing a year. If we zoom out to three years, I mean, you can see like 190 exahash. That's an all time high. Um, but what's important is like this chart, which is using like daily sized time windows is showing the hash rate at like 233 exahash. So, you know, that's not really accurate. That's a 40 exahash difference. So it's generally better to use the longer time windows. All in all though, going back to the difficulty estimator here, um, you know, as that becomes more difficult, that's a good indication that more hash rate has come online and you as a solo miner only have a small static input to the overall network hash rate. So you're proportional contribution to the overall hash rate is now getting smaller because so much more hash rate has come online. Therefore, your rewards are going to get smaller as that grows. And it's increasing another 10%. So you can expect your rewards to be reduced by about 10%. You know, and that's, there's also variables that go into that, like how many blocks the pool you're on finds, or even solo <laughs> mining, as we'll um, look at here in a minute. But yeah, that's just, that's what's going on this epoch with the difficulty and the hash rate. Let's jump into uh, ASIC rig prices. So this is the Luxor Labs website. Um, and so they've got like a, a really cool interface here that demonstrates the rig prices. Um, so you can see like the most efficient ASICs are the ones in red under 38 joules per terahash. Um, and this just kind of shows you the last year of ASIC prices in US dollar. Uh, and you can change that to Bitcoin and, and see how the prices have changed in Bitcoin as well. This is another chart that shows the US dollar price versus the Bitcoin price together on the same graph. Um, and then scrolling down here, this one, I have this set for like 10 cents per kilowatt hour. And so what this is showing is like your break even price based on your electrical consumption, your watts per terahash uh, at 10 cents per kilowatt hour. So you can see like if we fast forward to today, if your ASIC is consuming 90.8 or almost 91 watts per terahash, that's your break even point. They're showing ASICs on here that are running at under 38 joules per terahash, the new generation ASICs are coming out that are very efficient. So if you're running an ASIC that's, you know, 38, 40 joules per terahash, you, you have like 50 watts per terahash a headroom 
before you're at your break-even point. So um, check this this website out. I, I think it's pretty cool just to kind of keep an idea uh, in the back of your mind of what's going on with ASIC prices and efficiency and you know how you're doing as a home miner compared to everybody else. Okay, so we're gonna move into news. And like I mentioned earlier, we were talking about uh, solo mining. So this is Dr. Khan Kolavas. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, he's the guy behind CK Pool, which is like this mining pool that you can sign up with, with just a Bitcoin address and your miner. And you use your address as your username and you point your hash rate to this pool. And if you are lucky enough to mine a block, you get 98% of the block subsidy and all the transaction rewards for that block. The pool gets 2%. It's very few and far between that a solo miner actually mines a block. I think the last time a solo miner mined a block was back in 2020. So I, I think it had been like a solid year and a half. I might be wrong, but I think it had been a solid year and a half since we've seen a solo miner actually mine a block. And so this solo miner was mining with roughly 126 terahash. So, you know, 126 terahash, like that's, that's very obtainable by the average person. What's really interesting about this, though, is um, this was on January 11th. On January 12th, another solo miner mined another block on CK pool with 116 terahash. So the the two the two events were like 255 blocks apart from each other, and um, that it, that just blew my mind. I had I had not expected. Uh, to see another solo mine block for quite a long time, but we had two almost back to back. So, you know, that's just uh, just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. And a couple of home miners got lucky and they got like six and a quarter Bitcoin. So I'm super stoked for those home miners that took the chance and tried it out. I tried out CK pool myself for like, you know, less than 24 hours just to see what it was all about. Um, I didn't mine a block, but uh, everybody should try it once. It's, it's just kind of like playing the lottery. And, you know, with these two home miners, you know, if you want to win, you have to gamble. And they won. They won big time. So that was really cool to see. Um, John Cantrell, he, and I again, I'm terrible with pronouncing names. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, he did a, a good write-up on Twitter about um, what was going on with the solo mining and like the, you know, there, there's a lot of discussions about what are the chances of a solo miner actually mining a block. And somewhere in here, he explains very well. I'll just read this out loud to you. Based on the current difficulty, it is expected to take roughly... 104,669,950,140 trillion hashes to find a block. If your miner can perform 110 trillion hashes per second, this means we will be able to perform 66 trillion hashes in the 10 minutes we have 
to find a block. This means we have roughly a 0.00006% chance to find the block before we expect someone else to. It also means it'll take us roughly 951,545,001 seconds or about 30 years to find a block on average. The odds aren't so good. Those miners got so lucky. Um, so that, out of all the explanations I saw floating around online, I think John really kind of summarized what kind of probability or chance we're talking about here. This was just a really good breakdown on what the chances are of finding a block by yourself. Uh, so in other news, U.S. Congress reportedly set for hearing on Bitcoin's carbon footprint. Uh, key takeaways, the House Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations may be planning a hearing on Bitcoin's carbon footprint. The subcommittee is reportedly working on a list of witnesses who may testify, blah, blah, blah. Well, they did go ahead and have the hearing today. Um, this guy is uh, Ari Jules. He's the CEO of Chainlink. I have a few predictions about where you know, this is all kind of going, um, but I'll just let Ari talk here for a second because I, I want to just highlight something that he's saying at this part. So I'll play this video for you. The record with respect to a claim that was made earlier that I think is quite relevant to this point. It, it was noted earlier that mining machines are becoming more energy efficient, and that is absolutely the case, but also an extremely deceptive claim in my view. Uh, mining rigs are not like the light bulbs in our house, where efficiency means more efficiency means less electricity use. So to be clear, individual mining rigs are growing more energy efficient, but crypto mining as a whole is becoming less energy efficient. And that's because rewards and therefore profits aren't determined by absolute mining power, but by mining power relative to your competitors. So mining rigs have grown more energy efficient over time. And one can see this with reference to the data. But overall, energy consumption in crypto mining has been growing over time, particularly over the past year. So in short, more efficient mining equipment does not mean a more efficient Bitcoin network. Uh, and I uh, apologize for not answering your question at greater length, but I, I did want to make that point. Thank you. Thank you. And why do you believe there are still better ways to be using this excess energy? Um, because, as I mentioned earlier, Proof of work is unnecessary for the maintenance of blockchains. Proof of stake is a perfectly viable alternative that's already securing hundreds of billions of dollars in value. So an er earlier it was claimed that proof of stake is not as secure as proof of work because of a largely theoretical concern about proof of work validators, as they're called, being able to wipe the blockchain clean. But as I said, that's a theoretical concern. Um, it makes certain suppositions that are not plausible in my technical view. And additionally, in practice, it has not proven significant. So as I said, we have a viable alternative that uses essentially a, a, the amount of energy for a large network that would be required would be that comparable to a small village rather than an, an entire nation. So in that sense, there are better uses for the energy that's being poured into the Bitcoin network. We can redirect it to almost anything else if we shift the energy sources being used to maintain blockchains today 
to something that consumes a negligible amount of energy. Okay, I'll stop the video there. So there you have it straight from the source. This guy is shilling the proof of stake model over the proof of work model. And it really just comes from this like fiat way of thinking that money comes easy, it can just be printed. Um, and it doesn't address any of the fundamental issues that a proof of work system like Bitcoin addresses. What's unique about Bitcoin is that it takes a certain amount of work and proof of that work to have new coins deployed across the network. And the work that goes into generating those coins gives them value. So it's very similar to gold, where it takes a tremendous amount of resources to produce gold. And similarly, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to produce Bitcoin. This is what makes it scarce. This is what makes it, this is what helps make it valuable. Um, you don't get that with a proof of stake system where you just have some fat cats that have staked some of their rewards as collateral that get to sit there and decide whether a transaction is valid or not. Proof of stake system is, it, it has deep flaws in it that, that just cannot compete with Bitcoin. So um, I just wanted to play that clip because I thought it was interesting. This guy, uh, Ari Jules, supposedly coined the term proof of work. Uh, and here he is all these years later, now uh, shilling proof of stake. Uh, so I thought there was some irony there. And then also like his opening comment about the uh, machine efficiency increasing like, you know, he's basically saying, yeah, individual machines are getting more efficient, but the overall network is not getting more efficient. And later in his testimony, he, he kind of, um, he, he, he dives into that a little bit deeper. And basically what he's getting at is that um, the number of transactions per second are not increasing, so therefore the network isn't getting more efficient. So again, his thinking is just completely flawed here. So if we have more efficient, first of all, if we have more efficient ASICs coming online, that means that we're like maintaining, say, 200 exahash with less energy consumption than we would have a year ago if we were trying to maintain 200 exahash. So like as these S9s like get phased out or stop working or just go offline and more efficient ASICs take their place, there's going to be more hash rate available for less energy consumption. So the network is getting more efficient. You're getting more hash power with less energy consumption. Um, the fact that the transactions per second are not increasing is just like, I almost couldn't believe I heard that guy say it in a congressional hearing. Like we're talking on Bitcoin, you get final settlement in 10 minutes. If you want final set settlement with Visa, you need a calendar. It takes 90 days to get final settlement from Visa. So you get all these people talking about like, oh, Visa can do a billion transactions a second and Bitcoin can only do one transaction a second. 
Obviously, I'm being a little, I'm exaggerating those numbers a little bit here just to illustrate my point that they try to make it seem like there is this big gap between what Bitcoin can do in transactions per second versus what the legacy system can do in transactions per second or what some of these altcoins can do in transactions per second. But Bitcoin is doing final settlement every 10 minutes. And even if an altcoin is doing final settlement in 10 minutes or less than 10 minutes, and they're doing a billion transactions in those 10 minutes, like who fucking cares? It's a shit coin. Like that currency doesn't have any value. There's, it's not a hard money. It's not a sound money. It's, it didn't take any work to produce that and to prove that that work went into producing that. So it is worthless. So like, great. You like reinvented the legacy system. Congratulations. All right, moving on. In other breaking news, computing giant Intel to debut new ultra low voltage Bitcoin mining ASIC at the ISSCC conference. Um, so I saw this come up on Twitter uh, from Bitcoin Magazine, and then I found this article. Uh, you can find this article online at this URL. Um, and basically, it, it just kind of gives, it doesn't go into a lot of detail. It just kind of talks about some like rumors that came up about Intel getting into developing a new ASIC chip. And then, and then it goes into this podcast where this dude from Intel actually said that, that they were working on this stuff. Um, and so this is different than their line of GPU products. Uh, this is specifically for uh, ASIC technology. So, um, you know, Intel is a pretty smart company. If we were really going to a proof of stake system in the future, like this guy thinks, I don't think a company like Intel is going to be putting their resources into ASIC technology because you don't need an ASIC uh, to do proof of stake computations. When Intel says that they're going to start doing something, I think that's a pretty good indication that it might be around for a while. Now, if this all goes well, then there should be more efficient ASICs becoming more available, uh, hopefully to the general public. And I see that as a good thing. I think that could potentially lower the cost of ASIC hardware as it becomes more available. Um, that is also going to make the mining rewards less because there's going to be more hash rate going online. So you as a solo miner are going to earn less, but it might be easier for you to like scale up your operations if you can get hardware faster, if you can get hardware cheaper. So I think that could be a good thing. Now, if this all goes wrong, then I think a worst case scenario is like, I think that potentially if Intel designs this hardware in such a way that it has a back door in it, and then, you know, waits several years for the hardware to get out into the market and get into the hands of people and to propagate throughout the world, then 
at some point, there may be a substantial portion of the Bitcoin network hash rate that's running on Intel's product that could potentially have a backdoor in it. And, you know, who knows what happens at that point? Maybe they can just shut off all of those mining rigs remotely one day and cause a sudden flash crash in hash rate and then kick up a bunch of other hardware that they've been keeping offline uh, to like really overcome the overall hash rate and obtain more than 51% and and carry out some sort of 51% attack. I, I don't know. It's just that I think Intel has a history of working with three-letter agencies and governments around the world to do some shady practices and to put NSA in every computer in the world. So um, I, I will be watching this closely as this develops. Could go well, could go terribly wrong for Bitcoin, uh, and only time will tell. In other news, EU regulator calls for ban on proof-of-work Bitcoin mining to save renewable energy. What's laughable about this article is that somewhere in here, this, this dude from Sweden is saying, Bitcoin is now a national issue for Sweden because of the amount of renewable energy devoted to mining. Like, dude, it's renewable energy. What does it matter if it's being used for mining Bitcoin? Like, what else is it going to get used for? Like, who cares what it's going to get used for? If, if the person is paying for the energy, they should be able to do with that energy whatever they want to do with it. They shouldn't have to, like let the moral standards of the Swedish government dictate what they get to do with their electricity, even though they're spending their hard-earned money on it. Like, as a miner, you're putting those resources out there. You're the one who invested in the capital. You're the one who took a chance on buying the hardware. You're the one who's paying that electricity bill every month. It's on the utility companies to decide how that energy is produced. If they want to produce it with windmills, fine. If they want to produce it with fossil fuels, fine, whatever. As a end consumer and as the Bitcoin miner, like you're the one paying for it. doesn't really matter how it gets to your outlet as long as it gets there so you can run your machine, in my opinion. And this all kind of ties back in with what's going on with this, with this congressional hearing. Um, I have some other predictions about where this is all going if Congress really gets a hold of it. So as we've seen in the past, Congress has done things like pass this law. They, they use the EPA, the, regula the regulating body of the Environmental Protection Agency. And they use the EPA to come up with this tier system for diesel engines, where if you have a diesel engine that is of a tier of efficiency that is too low, well, then at a certain point, when the next tier comes out, you have to take one of your engines off the market in order to buy a replacement engine from a new tier. So like if you have a fleet of equipment, for example, let's say you have, let's say you're like, 
your stony bison and you have a fleet of bulldozers to build your stone walls and all your bulldozers are running on a tier three engine, diesel engine. Well, what happened in 2018, there was this sunset on tier three. And then when they came out with the tier four products, if you wanted to buy a new diesel engine, you had to buy a tier four engine unless you were willing to take one of your tier three engines out of the market. And you had to prove this to the EPA by actually blowing a hole through the block of the engine and, and physically destroying the engine and sending them proof that the engine was destroyed in order to get a tier three direct replacement of that engine. So if you have your infrastructure that's all built around tier three technology, and then you have to take that technology offline and, you, and you're forced to upgrade to tier four, well, just getting a tier four component may not be compatible with the infrastructure you have in place that was built around a tier three system. And so like we've seen the what kind of havoc the EPA can wreak on other industries because of these asinine regulations that just don't make any sense, all for the sake of being able to say, oh, it's more efficient and we were able to like boost efficiency. Well, if they repeat the same thing that they've done in the past, but they start applying that to Bitcoin, like what's gonna happen is you're gonna wind up getting ASIC manufacturers that have to put an Energy Star label on their ASICs, which, which certifies that this ASIC meets these certain efficiency um, requirements that the federal government has, has put into place. And then that's the perfect playing ground for regulators to come in and say, well, now if you're going to be running these ASIC machines and they are compliant with these efficiency standards, then you need to start submitting annual audits where a federal auditor can come into your facility and make sure that all of your ASICs have their little energy star label on them and they're all good to go. And if we find any ASICs that are, are not up to the most recent compliance standards, then we're just going to shut your operation down and fine you $10,000 a day until you fix the problem. That's where that's going. And so the energy star label system is, is an awful idea. And then that opens the gate even further for regulators to be like, okay, uh, now you need to have a license to operate this equipment because um, because the the environmental impact is so serious that like you you have to go through all these regulatory hoops and you need to pay us a surety bond and you need to have a license in every state that you operate in and you know while we're at it we're like right on the doorstep of you being a money transmitter so let's just go ahead and like get FinCEN involved and then like all hell breaks loose and the censorship really starts. That's the kind of future I think we're looking at. If we let psychopaths like this guy convince Congress that proof of stake can do the things that proof of work can do. And if Congress repeats the shit that they've pulled in the past and let the EPA go after this one, man, that's going to be very upsetting um, for a lot of people who wanted to really take part in this monetary revolution. Um, 
the people who are actual revolutionaries, they're not going to care what the regulators are saying. They're not going to care what Ari Jules is saying. They're not going to care. They're not going to care if it has an energy star label or not. People are going to mine Bitcoin no matter what any of this dog and pony show, smoke and mirror stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C., people are going to keep doing what they're doing, and you're not going to be able to stop that. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, Econo, like, we need mass adoption, and we need all of these people to be able to invest capital and, like, play nice with regulators and give up a little KYC information. No, fuck that. We don't need any of that. Nobody needs any of that. I don't even know who we is. Bitcoin certainly doesn't need any of that. Bitcoin is software that anyone can run and anyone will run that software and anyone will not be stopped running that software. They will continue to run that software. And don't tell me that we or Bitcoin needs the regulators involved or needs the money rail system of Visa or any anything related to the legacy system to reach mass adoption. Bitcoin is the logical end that anyone is free to reach once they have had enough of the bullshit of the legacy system or enough of the bullshit of these altcoin uh, proof of stake systems like Bitcoin makes sense and it is the hardest money and just in pure economic terms it is only a matter of time until everyone decides of their own free will that bitcoin makes the most sense and they'll get there because it is the best money it is going to win by default you can't like change that and you can't take all these broken incentive systems from the legacy system and force them into Bitcoin and ex and expect it to work. It's not going to work. Like everyone's thinking like we Bitcoin needs the regulators to help mass adoption along the way, but that's just not true. Like what's going to happen is the legacy financial system is just going to get regurgitated the same things that are broken today are going to be broken tomorrow. You're going to have the same problems. You're just going to perpetuate the same issues. And you're going to wind up scaring off all the people who really wanted to use the technology for what it can, for what it was designed to do, which is permissionless peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So like have fun, Washington, DC. You're not going to get very far, but it will be entertaining to watch nonetheless. Um, so back to these EU regulators, like, I don't know where they're going with this one. It doesn't really say in the article, but they're, I, I'll tell you one thing's for sure. They're going to ask for twice as much as they actually want. And so they're going to do something like say, we want an all out ban on proof of work mining. And when in actuality, they may only want to like, restrict proof of work mining to people who are willing to get a license to operate ASICs, which I think is what they really want. So they'll say they're going to ban proof of work mining just to scare the hell out of people, to 
drive fear to make people think that, oh, I better just comply with them and do what they say so that I can still have permission to run Bitcoin, which is just a completely cucked mentality. Like you don't need anyone's permission to buy an ASIC and plug it in and run it. You can do that on your own and you should do that on your own. I think you should do that on your own. I've put out a ton of resources to help you try and get started with that. And so you're going to see regulators all around the world start saying things like, yeah, we're going to ban Bitcoin mining and, and people are going to get scared because they're afraid their bags are going to get ruined. And it, it's all just a ploy to try and get Bitcoin captured in such a way that you need a license to operate an ASIC and you have to go through audits and you have energy star labels and and it's completely captured by this regulatory system and these carbon credit incentives. And it just regurgitates the broken legacy system that Bitcoin was designed to solve for in the first place. So these, these regulators are going to ask for way more than what they really want. And they're going to try and scare a lot of people. So just watch out for that. All right, moving on to developments. Um, so... A while ago, back in October, Jack said that Square is considering building a Bitcoin mining system uh, based on custom silicon and open source for individuals and businesses worldwide. Then just recently on January 13th, um, this dude, Thomas Templeton, who's, I think he's like running the block company uh, which is either like a subsidiary or a sister company to Square. They're the company that's going to um, be working on this Bitcoin mining system. So he put out this thread and he said, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to go for it. Um, these are some of the things we're thinking about availability, reliability, performance. Um, you know, how are we going to develop this product? Uh, and, and what was interesting to me about this thread is that they keep using the term Bitcoin mining system. So I can't help but think that this isn't going to be just an ASIC. Um, you know, it could be something like uh, an ASIC and a node. It could be like geared for the home market where you get your own node, your own ASIC, um, I don't know, your own lightning node too. Like who knows what they could do. They might like try and build it into like a, a point of sale system and go toward like merchants, the merchant market. They might try and do both. They might try and go commercial and just make a really badass ASIC. I don't know. But kind of the same thing with Intel. Like this will be interesting to watch develop. I think if it goes good, it could be great for Bitcoin. If it goes bad, it, it could be really bad for Bitcoin. Look, I don't, I don't know Square. I don't know Block. They, they could be doing really good things. Um, they could be doing nefarious things. They don't have a reputation in the Bitcoin space right now, and they're going to have to build that reputation. Um, what I do like, though, is that they mention open source several times. Uh, Jack mentioned that in his thread. Thomas mentions that in his thread. And what's good to, to see about an open source model is like, you know, companies like Bitmain and What's Miner, like that hardware is not open sourced. And it'll be refreshing to have some open source alternatives out there so that many eyes can be on it to see what's going on. And 
um, I think that will help drive customer expectations to develop a preference for open source hardware, which overall I think is a good thing. So, you know, I think I think I'm a little more bullish on um, whatever block comes up with than I am on whatever Intel comes up with, just because I don't really trust Intel. You know, I don't necessarily trust Block or Square either, but at least they're talking about open source. Intel isn't talking about open source. So this will just be interesting to, to watch on roll. Um, we've got another, we've got another development here. This comes from Miner Daily again. So check them out. So they, they set, um, their projections for overall hash rate gains in 2022. And their, their projections are that the network size is going to be between 225 and 270 exahash. And they go through this article and explain their thinking on that um, range pretty well. So check that article out. Along the same line, Galaxy Digital also put out their projections. And so yeah, this is page 13 of 16. And at the end here, they're talking about uh, by the end of 2022, they're projecting the overall Bitcoin network hash rate is going to be somewhere between 300 exahash and 370 exahash. So that is like 100 exahash more than what um, Miner Daily is projecting. So I thought that was interesting to see the contrast between this projection and this projection. A couple other interesting uh, details I want to point out in this article is that uh, public, publicly listed mining companies had an 8x increase in 2021. So in one year, there at the beginning of 2021, there were two publicly listed Bitcoin mining companies. By the end of 2021, there were 16 publicly listed Bitcoin mining companies. And there were seven additional listings that were still pending. So 2021 was a huge growth uh, for publicly listed Bitcoin mining companies. Again, I, going back to like the congressional hearing and what this guy is saying about proof of stake, like, dude, I, I don't know how many publicly listed proof of stake mining companies, validating companies, if you can even call it mining, I don't know. I don't know how many publicly listed proof of stake companies are out there, or if that was an 8x increase. I, it could have been. I I haven't been hearing about it, but you know, I only focus on Bitcoin. But um, it just doesn't seem like you would get that kind of increase if it didn't make sense for a lot of different reasons. So I think Bitcoin is here to stay. I don't think proof of stake is the way of the future. And I don't think it's a threat to Bitcoin. Some other interesting things that were pointed out in in this document were was, was how much money has been raised by Bitcoin miners. So um, public and private Bitcoin miners raised $2.3 billion in publicly announced debt. And 93% of that $2.3 billion was raised in quarter four of 2021 alone. So things were really heating up towards the end of the year. 
Additionally, miners raised $3.9 billion in publicly announced equity. So altogether, that's $6.2 billion in capital between the debt and the equity that was raised by public and private uh, Bitcoin mining companies. And that's just what was publicly announced. So that's like a lower bound on what was probably actually raised and being invested. So um, again, was what did did proof of stake infrastructure raise six billion dollars in 2021 i don't think so i don't think they did and the reason it happened with bitcoin is because it makes sense one other interesting thing about this article is that they're expecting an increase to 40 or 45 percent of the network's hash rate by the end of 2022 to be controlled by publicly traded miners so what they're saying here is that at the end of quarter four, 2021, publicly traded miners represented approximately 18% of the network's hash rate. And they're expecting that share to increase to 40 or 45%. So, I mean, let's think about that from an adversarial standpoint for a second. If 45% of Bitcoin hash rate is controlled by publicly traded miners, Publicly traded to me means fiduciary duties, means answering to investors, means complying with regulators, means playing by the rules because you are a publicly traded company. So if there's any leverage there for regulators to start influencing the decisions that publicly traded miners make, um, I do see the doors of censorship being kicked open there. And if 45% of the network hash rate is controlled by publicly traded miners that are all aligned and playing by the same rules and saying, we all agree not to mine any blocks with OFAC listed addresses in them, then, you know, what that means for gray markets, dark markets, black markets, is that um, your Bitcoin transactions are gonna take that much longer to get processed because you're gonna have to wait until that transaction gets picked up by a miner that is not blocking OFAC addresses. So I just think that was an interesting metric to see. And from like a purely censorship resistant point of view, I'm not, sure that's like a bullish statement to be reading 45 percent of the hash rate and publicly traded miners in the same sentence i don't know i could be wrong you know that that could be a really good thing for bitcoin i don't know i just don't really see it that way okay one other interesting point i want to make about this article is that they're saying that 28 percent of bitcoin's overall network hash rate is still being generated by S9 ASICs. So this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the S9s are like five years old and they're still running and they're still running profitably and they're still doing their job. So I am very bullish on the new gen ASICs that are coming out right now and their ability to have a long lifespan that reaches out into the next 
block subsidy epoch um, that reaches out five years, six years into the future. I think the new gen ASICs are going to be able to do that. And kind of going back to my point about what this dude was saying and the the efficiency of the ASICs increasing, but not the network efficiency increasing. Like I did a couple calculations and from what I can tell, S9 still contribute 28% of the overall network hash rate as this document states. That means about 200 exahash times 0.28. Okay, you got like 56 exahash that's being controlled by S9s. Basically what I'm getting at here is that, you know, if you have a new gen ASIC that's doing three, it's doing uh, 3000 watts and it's giving you a hundred terahash, you're getting, uh, it's costing you 30 watts per terahash. And if you have an S9 that's consuming a thousand watts, but only giving you 13 terahash, then you're, it's costing you 76 watts, 77 watts per terahash. So if you take 77 and subtract 30 and divide that by 77, you can see a 61% efficiency increase by upgrading all of those S9s to new gen ASICs. So if you get 61% efficiency, you know, so this this 28% of the network hash rate that the S9s are producing, you can take that 28%, which is 56 exahash, and you can multiply that by 1.61% increase, efficiency increase. And so that 56 exahash could actually be 90 exahash consuming the exact same amount of energy. So don't tell me that the Bitcoin network is not getting more efficient. It is getting more efficient. Just because the number of transactions isn't increasing doesn't mean the network isn't getting more efficient. The number of transactions doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin efficiency. And so that's all I had to say about that document. Um, It's a 16-page read. It's interesting. There's a lot of good details in there. Um, Check that out. Uh, You can, uh, I'll link this this URL in the show notes. Moving on to home miners, uh, Big Chungus on Twitter posted his or her S9 in an immersion system. Uh, I like this because one, it's clear, you can see the ASIC. Two, it's super simple. Like they've got a pump, the fluid goes in, the fluid, the hot fluid comes out, it gets cooled off. They got a little radiator. Um, you know, they're up and hashing. And I just thought that was awesome and worth sharing. And up next, we've got Justin Flip with a couple of S9s directly ducked into a couple of inline fans. And I just thought this was cool because it's it's clean, it's organized, uh, the lighting looks cool, um, and it, it just looks like it, it's working really well with those fans. So I thought that was worth sharing. He's also got these interesting um, thermostats, these digital thermostats attached to them to kind of show you 
uh, how hot the air is coming out of them. So I thought that was definitely worth sharing. Uh, and then this one comes from BTC Fatheev. And I thought this was a really clean setup. I'll, I'll just play the, the video from the beginning. Hey, what's up, everyone? Wanted to show you a tour of my new mining setup. So I'm in Minnesota. This is my tool room. Used to be heated by a propane heater. Um, it's now going to be heated by an S19 Pro, 110 terahash. Um, it's up near the ceiling, so it's not interfering with anything. But I've got two six-inch intakes, two six-inch exhausts. In the winter time here, I'll leave that those elbows open. There's dampers on the other side, but that way the heat comes back into the building. It's holding steady at about 51 degrees in here, which is nice. Um, I know I've seen people put like mufflers on and uh, to keep with the noise, but the noise is like 55 decibels, so it's really not bad. But I've got room if I want to, and I can also add some inline fans if I need more airflow. But uh, right here, so on the other side of this wall is my panel. So I put in a 208 volt outlet and a surge protector. So I created my own cord to run into the miner. So it goes up here. Uh, internet is coming through a hotspot, then into a PFSense router using a Proton VPN. And then it goes out to an access point, which is hardwired into the, the miner itself. And then you can also um, check on everything via Wi-Fi on my laptop. But I'll show you the inside of the inside of the box here. Pretty simple. Opens up. Got uh, goes to a filter. Cold air to my miner. Hot air out. Airflow is really good. Nice and quiet. It's uh, been a fun project. Turned out really well. So happy hashing. Cool. So a couple things I want to point out about that video. He's using a mobile hotspot for his internet. And then he's got it hooked up to a PFSense router that he built out of an old Dell Optiplex, it looks like. And uh, he installed PFSense on it. He's got his mining traffic going through a VPN tunnel. He's got heat in his shop. He's protecting his privacy. He's stacking non-KYC sets. He's doing it over a mobile hotspot. Uh, and it's quiet. Like this dude just like checked all the boxes with his setup. So um, I, I definitely thought that that was worth sharing. Um, really cool project. Knocked it out of the park. Okay, last section of the show is privacy implications. And what came to light in recent news was this project Torogaz, Torogos, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, w which was like a Pegasus spyware operator who infected up to 35 journalists in El Salvador. All the indications in this article, and it's a long article, 
it goes into a lot of detail about like the what's been happening historically in El Salvador with human rights violations, some of the activities that President Bukele had uh, been involved with, and some of the signs that were some of the red flags that were um, being brought up through his actions and the way he had uh, spoken out against free press, um, the way he had like stormed the um, the capital with the soldiers to intimidate lawmakers to vote a certain way. Um, you know, the dude has authoritative tendencies and authoritative habits, and it's all kind of spelled out in this article. And it also talks about what the Pegasus spyware can do, how it can be weaponized against people like journalists. Um, and it, it kind of ties the links between the content that these journalists were working on, which was investigating the president's activities. And it sets some timelines like that coincide with when the president took office and when they were able to like forensically determine when this Pegasus spyware was being deployed and used against these journalists. Um, so everything, all the signs point to uh, the president of El Salvador continuing some human rights violations. And that's a stark contrast to um, what people generally think of when they're talking about Bitcoin. But I think what's important about this is that it, I want you to understand that Bitcoin is just software. And in the hands of an individual trying to secure their own freedoms, that software can be used as a tool and used in such a way to allow that individual to interact with the world around them economically without permission, uh, without being censored. And that can be a very powerful tool for good. Um, because Bitcoin is just software, if you put that in the hands of an authoritative president, um, Bitcoin can also be used for bad. It's just a tool and it's not going to make decisions based on the morals of the people that are using it. So, you know, I think this just opened my eyes to how fast the situation in El Salvador could go downhill and like the opportunity the people of El Salvador have with using Bitcoin permissionlessly, uh, that opportunity being taken away because uh, it was presented to them in this like custodial package where they really don't have the um, direct access to Bitcoin like they should. You know, and I, I was also reading Strike's terms and conditions and Dude, there's all sorts of terms and conditions in Strike that say, like, 
you're not going to be doing anything illegal with your payments or you're not going to be doing anything involving illicit drugs or even pharmaceuticals or um, you're not going to be doing anything involving pornography. You know, so like Strike is exerting this moral standard on their users and saying that Strike reserves the right to shut your account down and to freeze your funds instantly uh, in the event that you're doing something with Strike that that they don't agree with morally. And, you know, this Chivo wallet that is being used in El Salvador and, and pushed by the government there is a good example of another another potential choke point for people to watch out for. Um, so, you know, how does this tie in directly with Bitcoin mining? Well, you know, it doesn't really, but it is just like an eye-opening privacy violation uh, that happened in the last couple of weeks that I wanted to bring up. So, yeah, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, it, you know, the president of El Salvador may wear his hat backwards and wear some cool sunglasses and say some funny things on Twitter. But, you know, he the facts are he has authoritative tendencies. He has a history of authoritative, observable actions. And you put a tool like Bitcoin in the hands of a person like that, and they're going to use Bitcoin in, a, in an authoritative way to do authoritative things. Bitcoin doesn't change the fact that the president of El Salvador has those authoritative tendencies. So I would just be on the lookout for that. You know, the fact that he was very likely the reason these 35 journalists had their phones infected with this Pegasus spyware, um, you know, imagine what kind of privacy invasions a government like El Salvador can conduct on a completely open monetary network where there are no privacy guarantees. Uh, I just think this is something to watch out for and the situation in El Salvador should be approached with caution. And I would encourage everyone to think critically for themselves about the information they're being presented with. That's all I have for today. I hope you have enjoyed the show. I'll see you all again in a couple more weeks.